0: This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Another blessed Sunday in Advent. We are here one week from Advent, from Christmas Day. Caudete Sunday was last Sunday, but still there's something special about the Sunday one week before the Feast of Christmas, and Christmas is on a Sunday this year, which is a blessing in and of itself, I think. But here today, I have for you a, another and will be the final Christmas sermon of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. I've been focusing on him for Sundays for Advent, and I'm working on something else for the Christmas season. I'm not sure what yet, though. Here we hear about the, the consequences of the Incarnation uh, for Mary and Joseph, you know, What we have always been told are the doubts Joseph had, and, you know, deciding to put her aside and all those things. St. Bernard of Clairvaux gives you a different take on Joseph's supposed doubts and other things. And St. Bernard of Clairvaux was one of the earliest doctors of the church, so his words should be taken seriously here. Curious what you think of this, so let me know in the comments, please. God bless. The mission of the angel... An Advent Sermon of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. No one surely will doubt that in the kingdom of God the Queen of Virgins will join, nay, rather will take the lead in the canticle which only virgins sing. Further than this, I think she will gladden the city of God with yet a sweeter and more thrilling melody, whose enrapturing strains not one among the virgins will be worthy to utter. This song will be reserved to her alone, who could glory in her childbearing, a divine childbearing. In thus glorying, she glories not in herself, but in him whom she brought forth. For God was certainly enriched with singular glory in heaven, that mother whom he prevented with the surpassing grace of bringing him into the world without prejudice to her virginity. Such a birth was becoming a God who alone could be born of a virgin. Such a childbearing was befitting one who had a God for her child. Therefore, it was needful that the creator of man, in order to unite himself to the human race, should choose, nay, create a mother whom he knew to be worthy of, and acceptable to himself. He willed her to be an immaculate virgin, that she might merit to have for her son the spotless one, who was about to take away the sins of the world. He willed her, too, to be humble, from whom he was meek and humble should come into the world. He who was to show to all men a salutary example of these two virtues, he gave fruitfulness to the virgin, whom he had previously inspired with the desire of bowing her virginity to God, and whom he had also enriched with the grace of humility. Otherwise, how could the angel have proclaimed her full of grace, if she had possessed any of the least good that was not the effect of divine grace? In order, therefore, that she who was to conceive and bring forth the holy of holies might be holy in body, she received the gift of virginity, and that she might be holy in mind, she received the gift of humility. With these gems of virtue, the royal virgin was adorned, and radiant with a double splendor of holiness in body and mind, she was no sooner revealed to the heavenly citizens than they fixed upon her their admiring grace. The king himself stooped to desire her beauty, and sent her his heavenly ambassador. And this is what the evangelist makes known, when he says that the angel was sent from God to the to the virgin, that is, from the high to the lowliest, from the Lord to his handmaid, Creator to his creature. How great the condescension of God. How preeminent the excellence of the Virgin. Hasten ye mothers. Press forward ye daughters of Eve. Come quickly all you who on account of Eve's fall. Bring forth in sorrow. Approach the Virgin's chamber. Enter if you can. The modest room of your sister. For behold God sends a message to the Virgin. An angel addresses Mary. Place your ear close to the wall. Listen to what he announces. Perchance you may receive a word of consolation. Rejoice, O Father Adam, and exult yet more, Mother Eve, ye who, though the parents of all were their destroyers, even before you became their parents, be consoled now in your daughter, and in such a daughter. You especially, O Eve, from whom the evil first originated, and whose reproach passed as a disgraceful legacy to womanhood. The time is at hand when that reproach shall be taken away. Wherefore, O Eve, hasten to marry. Hasten, O mother, to your daughter. Let the daughter answer to the mother. Let her take away her mother's reproach. Let her satisfy also for her father Adam, for if he fell by a woman, behold, he is now raised up by a woman. God gave a woman in exchange for a woman, a prudent woman for one that was foolish, a humble woman for one who was proud. One who instead of the fruit of death shall place shall give to you to eat of the truth of life, and who in place of the poisoned food of bitterness will bring forth the fruit of everlasting sweetness. Change now, O Adam, your wicked words of excuse to the song of endless thanksgiving, and say... O Lord, the woman whom thou hast given me, gave me of the tree of life, and I have eaten, and its fruit has been sweeter than honey to my mouth, and by it thou hast given me life. This is why the angel was sent to the virgin. O wondrous and most honorable virgin, O woman is singularly venerable, admirable among all women, thou hast satisfied for thy parents and restored life to their posterity. The angel was sent to a virgin, a virgin in body, a virgin in mind, a virgin by profession, a virgin by such as the apostle describes, Holy in body and in mind. She is no recent and chance discovery, but the object of God's eternal predilection, foreknown by the Most High, prepared for himself, guarded by angels, pointed out by the patriarchs, promised by the prophets. Search the scriptures and prove the truth of my words. To give a few testimonies out of many, of what other woman could God have spoken of when he said to the serpent, I will place enmities between thee and the woman. And if you still doubt whether Mary were that woman, listen to what follows. She shall crush thy head. To whom but Mary was such a victory reserved. Undoubtedly, the empoisoned head of the serpent was crushed by Mary, who brought to naught every suggestion of the evil one, as well as regards carnal allurement as, in, as intellectual pride. Again, what other woman did Solomon seek? The wise man knew the frailty of the fairer sex, the weaknesses of their bodies, the inconstancy of their minds, but he had read God's promise and saw that it was fitting that the enemy who had been victorious over the human race by means of a woman should by another woman be himself overcome. Wondering exceedingly, he exclaimed, Who shall find a valiant woman? As if to say, if upon a woman depends alike the salvation of our race, its restoration to innocence, and its victory over our common enemy, she must indeed be valiant to be fitted for so sublime an undertaking. But who shall find a valiant woman, and lest he should be accused of asking in despondency, he adds in prophecy. The price of her is as of things brought from afar off, and from the remotest coasts. Such a price is not small, nor mean, nor of light account. Nor is it from earth, but from heaven. And not even from the heaven nearest the earth, but from the highest heavens. His going forth is from the height of heaven. And what again was the bush shown to Moses, burning and yet unburnt, but Mary, who brought forth without sorrow, in Aaron's rod, which flowered without moisture, she is also typified, for she conceived without knowing man. The mystery of this stupendous miracle, Isaias more clearly points out when he says, There shall come forth a rod out of the root of Jesse, and a flower shall rise up out of his root. The rod is the virgin, the flower the virgin child. There is nothing unfitting in Christ being represented under different figures for different causes. So we may speak of him as the rod, an emblem of power, or as the flower, an emblem of fragrance, or as the fruit, that of sweetness. Whilst by the leaves we may understand his ceaseless protection, that protection which he continually extends over the little ones who take refuge under his shadow from the heat of earthly desires, and from the face of them that afflict them, good and desirable shade, under the protection of Jesus, where he that is pursued finds refuge, and where the weary obtain rest and refreshment. Have mercy on me, O Jesus, for my soul confides in thee, and under the shadows of thy wings I will hope till iniquity pass by. Other references might be quoted equally suitable, to the virgin mother and to the son of the god. Gideon's fleece, for example, cut from the flesh without wounding it and placed on the dry ground, where the dry fleeces are in turn moistened by the dew. This similitude represents the flesh assumed from the flesh of Mary without injury to her virginity. Upon it heaven dropped down dew, filling it with the plenitude of divinity, and from that fullness we have all received we who before it were as parched in arid soil. The psalmist seems to refer very beautifully to this fact in Gideon's history. In the Psalms we read, He shall descend like rain upon the fleece, and as showers falling gently upon earth. Gently at first, without noise of human operation, He fell softly into the virgin's womb. Afterwards, when the apostles announced Him, it was the noise of words and the display of miracles. For they were mindful of the words spoken to them when they were sent. What I tell you in the heart, speak ye in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach ye on the housetops. This injunction they carried off, for their sound was gone forth to the whole world, and their words to the utmost ends of the earth. Let us now give ear to Jeremias, who foretells a new and unheard of wonder, while he ardently desires and confidently promises the coming of him whose presence he might not behold. God has created a new thing on earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Who is this woman, and who is this man? And if a man, how is he encompassed by a woman? Can a man, said Nicodemus, return to his mother's womb and be born again? I turn for my answer to the Virgin's conception and childbearing, yet even there, among the many new and wonderful mysteries that met the consideration of the diligent inquirer, this is this which the prophet here proposes will excite admiration. There is seen length abbreviated, width straightened, height lowered, depth filled up. There we behold the light withholding its rays, the word of an infant, the living water athirst, him who is the bread of heaven suffering hunger. And attend and see how omnipotence is ruled, wisdom-instructed, power sustained. The God who rejoices the angels has become a babe at the breast, he who consoles the afflicted lies weeping in a manger. Attend and see how joy is made, sorrowful, strength becomes weakness, life, death. But what is equally wonderful, that sorrow gives joy, that weakness imparts strength, that death restores life. Who does not now see that I have found what I sought, and what, behold, a woman encompassing a man, when we see Mary enclosing in her womb Jesus, the man-God. For I may call Jesus a man, not only when he was proclaimed, a prophet mighty in work and word, but also when his tender infant limbs lay in the womb of his mother, or gently nestled on her bosom. Jesus then was a man even before his birth, not in age, but in wisdom, not in strength of body, but in vigor of mind, not by the development of his members, but by the perfection of his intelligence. For the wisdom of Jesus was as great as his conception as as his birth, when he was a, as a child and when he was perfect man. Whether hidden in the womb or weeping in the manger, whether a boy among the doctors or teaching the people in perfect manhood, he was ever equally full of the Holy Ghost. There was no moment of his human life when that plenitude of the Holy Spirit, which he received at his conception, suffered either diminution or augmentation. From the first he was perfect. From the first he was full of the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of the spirit of counsel and fortitude, of the spirit of knowledge and piety, and of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Yet be not surprised if you read elsewhere, And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age, and grace before God and men. What is here said of wisdom and grace must be understood, not of their essence, but of their outward appearance. That is to say, that our Lord never acquired what he did not before possess, that he seemed to acquire it when he willed it to appear. You, O Christian soul, advance not when and as you would, but you find your progress apparently checked, your life at the disposal of another. But the child Jesus who guides your life regulated also his own. When he would, and on what occasions he would, he appeared wise. When he, as he willed, more wise, and as he willed, most wise. Though all the while he never was ought to be but sublimest wisdom. In like manner, though he was never full of all the grace which it was fitting he should have before God and men, According as he judged proper, he showed now more, now less, according to the merits of the observers, or as he knew their spiritual needs required it. It is evident, therefore, that if in bodily development Jesus did not always appear a man, his mind was ever fully developed. But let us see if Isaiah, who above explained the new flower on Aaron's rod, has not also brought light to bear on this new thing of Jeremiah's. He says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Here for the woman we have virgin. What does he say of the man? And his name shall be called Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Therefore the woman encompassing a man is the virgin conceiving the Son of God. How stupendous this very miracle wrought in a virgin, and from a virgin's nature, a miracle which so many other miracles had foreshadowed, so many oracles proclaimed. The spirit of the prophets was ever the same. Though at different times and in different ways, it was not in a different spirit that they foresaw and predicted the same truth. What is shown by Moses, the burning bush, by Aaron's flowering rod, by Gideon's dew and fleece is clearly spoken of by Solomon in the valiant woman and her price, more clearly by Jeremiah in the woman and the man, most plainly by Isaiah in the virgin and Emmanuel. To Gabriel it was reserved to point her out by this salutation, for of her the evangelist says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin espoused to Joseph. To a virgin espoused? Why espoused? in order that Joseph, by carefully studying her life and conversation, might be a most faithful witness to her purity, for it was intolerable that any slur should be cast on the mother of God. But could not God have given some sign which would have preserved his own birth from infamy and his mother's honor from suspicion? Undoubtedly, he could, but not without discovering to the devil what he had revealed to men, and it was necessary that this secret of God's counsel should for a time be concealed from the prince of this world. Not that God had any obstacle to fear from the devil— He had chosen to make his operation manifest, but because he acts not only powerfully, but wisely in all that he does, and preserves an exquisite order in all his works, observing the fitting times and circumstances for their performance. Therefore, in work of our redemption, he likewise willed forth his wisdom as well as power, have accomplished it by their means. But to reconcile man to himself by the same, in the same order as he knew man, had the devil first deceived the woman, then overcome the man by woman, so he was to be deceived by a woman, a virgin, and afterwards be openly attacked and conquered by the man, Christ. Thus, by a device of infinite compassion, God laid bare the fraud of malice. The power of Christ broke the strength of the evil one, and the might and wisdom of God confounded the devil's malice and craft. It was necessary then that Mary should be espoused to Joseph, in order that what was holy might be concealed from the unholy that the virginity of mary might be proved to her spouse and that the virgin might be preserved from suspicion and her reputation protected what more wise what more worthy of divine providence but it is written joseph her husband being a just man and not willing publicly to expose her had a mind to put her away privately truly because he would just he was just he would not expose her publicly For as he would not have been just had he countenanced one that was guilty, neither would he have been just if he had condemned one whose innocence he had proved. Since then he was just and unwilling to expose her. Why, he had a mind to put her away. I give you on this point not my own opinion, but that of the father's. Joseph's reason was the same as Peter's, when he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And that of the centurion, when he exclaimed, I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Joseph looked on himself as a sinner and as unworthy to entertain one in whom he beheld a superhuman dignity. He beheld with awe on the Virgin Mother a certain sign of the Divine Presence, and as he could not penetrate the mystery, he wished to put her away. Peter was struck with awe at the greatness of Christ's power, the centurion by the majesty of his presence, and Joseph was naturally afraid at the novelty and splendor of the miracle and depth of the mystery. We need not wonder that he thought himself unworthy of the society of such a virgin when he, we hear the holy Elizabeth exclaim with fear and trembling, Whence is this to me that the mother of my lord should come to me? But if, on the other hand, any believe that Joseph suspected Mary, this very doubt of his was necessary and merited to be dispelled by divine intervention, for it is written, But while he thought on these things, that is, the putting her away privately, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his sleep, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. For the above reasons, therefore, Mary was espoused to Joseph. What are we to think of the dignity of Joseph, who deserved to be called and to be regarded as the father of the Savior? We may draw a parallel between him and the great patriarch, As the first, Joseph was by the envy of his brothers, sold and sent into Egypt. The second, Joseph fled into Egypt with Christ to escape the envy of Herod. The chaste patriarch remained faithful to his master, despite the evil suggestions of his mistress. St. Joseph, recognizing in his wife the virgin mother of his lord, guarded her with the utmost fidelity and chastity. To the Joseph of old was given interpretation of dreams. To the new Joseph, a share in heavenly secrets. His predecessor kept a store of corn, not for himself, but for the whole nation, that he might preserve it for his own salvation and that of all the world. A good and faithful servant was the Joseph to whom Mary, the mother of the Savior, was espoused, a faithful and prudent servant whom our Lord chose for the comfort of his mother and the nurse of his own childhood, as well as the only and most trustworthy cooperator in the divine design. We read in the place that was of the house of David, Yea, truly was this our Joseph descended from royal stock, a man of noble race and yet nobler mind, the son of David, nothing degenerating from the nobility of David his father. He was son of David less by kinship of blood than by inheritance of faith, of devotion and of holiness of life, a man whom, like another David, God found according to his own heart, and to whom he entrusted his most precious secret, to whom, as to David, he made manifest the uncertain and hidden things of his wisdom, and to whom he revealed a mystery hidden from the great ones of the world. To Joseph it was given to behold him whom many kings and prophets had desired to see and had not yet seen to hear and not yet heard. And not only was he allowed to behold him and listen to his words, but he might bear Jesus in his arms, guide his steps, and embrace and caress him, feed and protect him. It is also supposed that Mary was one of the same house of David, otherwise she would not have been a spouse to a man of that house. Both then were of the royal race, but in Mary was fulfilled the truth which the Lord swore unto David. In Joseph we have the witness of its fulfillment. The verse concludes with the words, And the virgin's name was Mary we will dwell a while on this name which is rightly interpreted star of the sea and is therefore admirably appropriate to the virgin mother fitly is she compared to a star which in giving forth its light suffers no waning since she brought forth her son without stain to her virginity as the ray of the star lessens not its brightness so the son of mary detracted in no way from her integrity she is therefore that glorious star which arose from jacob and which cast its radiance over the whole world the star whose splendor rejoices heaven terrifies hell, and sheds its mild and beneficent influence on the poor exiles of earth. She is truly the star which, being placed over this world's tempestuous sea, shines forth by the luster of her merits and example. O you who find yourself tossed about by the storm of sea, turn not your eyes from the brightness of the star, if you would not be overwhelmed by its boisterous waves. If the winds of temptations rise, if you fall among the rocks of tribulations, look up at the star, call on Mary." If anger, covetousness, or other passions beat on the vessel of your soul, look up to Mary. If you begin to sink in the gulf of melancholy and despair, think on Mary. In dangers, in distress, and perplexities, think on Mary. Call on Mary. Let her not depart from your lips. Let her not depart from your heart, and that you may win the suffrage of her prayers. Never depart from the example of her life. Following her, you will never go astray. When you implore her aid, you will never yield to despair. Thinking on her, you will not err. Under her patronage, you will never wander. Beneath her protection you will not fear, she being your guide, you will not weary, if she be your propitious star. You will arrive safely in port, and experience for yourself the truth of the words, and the virgin's name was Mary. And let us not turn too rapidly from the brightness of this transcendent luminary, for in the words of the apostle, it is good for us to be here. Let us then gaze in silent contemplation on that which words are powerless to explain. Thus shall we repair our spiritual powers, and be enabled to consider more fervently. The points that follow. And that was a classic sermon on the betrothal of Mary and Joseph and the incarnation of our blessed Lord. We are one week from the Holy Feast of the Nativity, from Christmas Day. And I hope that these Advent sermons of St. Bernard of Clairvaux have been helpful to you. The Final days of Advent are always joyful as this as we prepare for the feast, the great feast that comes and the great season that comes, as the world gets ready to celebrate, you know, a new year and football and all these other silly things, we are still celebrating Christmas. Trees may still be up in our homes, and if not, they are up in many parishes still. Remember the lesson from here to trust in the providence of God, and to trust in the prophecy given in the Old Testament, that a serpent, sh- the serpent's head shall be crushed by, by Our Lady. In these kind of weird times and dark times in the church, it's easy to get lost in the mess of things. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. Sharing this on social media helps a lot as well. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.